Reading this morning continues our study of the book of Acts. We're in chapter 26. If you want to use the the red Bibles that are out there, it's page 994. We'll be looking at uh, chapter 26, verses 24 through 29. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him. For I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thank you, Drew. Well, good morning. My name is Brandon. I serve as lead pastor here at Midtown. Really glad to have you here, particularly if you're a guest with us this morning. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us. Um, As we get into our teaching time, I just want to remind you, if you are new, uh, there should be a connect card around you. If you have questions about anything we talk about today or you are looking to get connected here at our church, please take a moment to fill this out and drop it off at the connect table uh, before you head out this morning. We'd love to, uh, to follow up with you, send you an email, just serve you any way that we can. Um, just before uh, we get into our sermon time, I just want to explain what we do here, again, for those who are new especially. Uh, each week, we have this time of teaching, and as elders, our primary responsibility is the capital T, big T, teaching of the church. It's our job to make sure that the doctrine is, and whatever's taught here is aligned with our statement of faith. And so we as elders uh, you know, have uh, kind of charge over that, and so oftentimes one of us will be teaching But we also occasionally get to hear from others in our body. Uh, Colossians tells us as believers that we're to teach one another. And so we have this lowercase t teaching responsibility to be equipping one another, building one another up, using our gift of teaching to build up the body. And so we, we love to be able to open up space for gifted men and women who are not elders to be able to teach and exercise their gifts, uh, to encourage us and to build us up. And so, uh, that can be deacons. Sometimes it's uh, people from the outside of our church. This morning, we get the privilege of hearing uh, from James Piscasio. James has been an elder before here, uh, served his term and has stepped down uh, recently just for a season of rest and renewal. But as a gifted teacher, as you guys know, you've all benefited from James James's ministry of teaching here. And so we're really excited to be able to welcome him back as he leads us through the book of Acts. So let's just greet James and uh, and thank him for his preparation. As you guys know, it's a lot of time and energy and um, that goes into these sermons. And so James, we get the opportunity as elders to just prepare and to pray over and come alongside. And so James, thanks for preparing. And uh, James is going to teach us through Acts here. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey, will you guys all pray with me? Oh, hasn't prayed. God, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you that you've given us the gift of Jesus. God, that you have given us the gift of today. And I pray that we would use those gifts that you've given us to shine the light of Christ in our lives, outside. Lord, that we would be, as you say, a lamp not covered under a basket, Lord, but but we would shine um, our light into the whole room so that you may be glorified, Lord, that we as your people, would shine our light in whatever spaces you have us, whatever context you have us, so that you may be glorified. God, I just pray uh, that you would be with me today. God, as you are with each and every one of us every day. God, these are your words. Pray that you would open up our ears, that we may hear them. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 
Well, it is so good to be with you this morning. It's so good to be um, uh, teaching this morning. Um, on, on rainy days like this, usually you kind of settle in, get a little more cozy. Um, I have been told that um, my voice puts people to sleep. Uh, I, spent a, I spent a considerable amount of time uh, consulting and training, and almost regularly you look out in the crowd and people are just asleep. So um, on a day like today, I am aware of that. I'm going to try to do hand motions and things to keep everybody awake. No, um, yeah, just, just settle in. Uh, th- this morning, I have the, the opportunity um, to, to take us through what has been told to me a record number of chapters for a sermon. We're going through six chapters this morning, um, and I'm going to make this as engaging as I can. So um, our big idea, if you are one who takes notes, our big idea for this morning is that whether with ease or with difficulty, we should be shining the light of Christ. Whether with ease or with difficulty, we should be shining the light of Christ. Now, we are able to share the light of Christ uh, in our own lives by by reading and listening to the words of Jesus. Uh, Additionally, we can share the light uh, of Christ outward to uh, those around us by sharing our testimony. Our testimony is the continuing story of what Christ has done for you and what Christ is doing through you and in you. Our our personal testimonies can be shared as we we sit together, uh, something that can be written down, or it can be something that is shared up close as we we live life with one another, as we, we do life with one another. And the reason why we invite people into our testimonies is because our testimonies of the transformative power of Christ authentically declare the saving power of God to the world, right? Our testimonies are of what God has done, Christ has done, how he has transformed us in that power of transformation tells the story and continues to communicate to the world that God is active and moving, and, and he's doing a work in his people, right? It reminds people that death and destruction do not have the final claim on their lives. The one of the exercises that I've had to do over my, you know, over, over the years is try to condense uh, my testimony down into a sentence or a paragraph. Uh, maybe you've, you know, been walking with the Lord for, for some amount of time in discipleship. You've done this. Um, try to condense this down. And what I find is that every time I'm asked, it's, it's really hard. Because if you asked me when I was um, 18, it was like, hey, man, tell me about what Christ has done in your life to bring you to this point. That answer is uh, radically different than what it is today now at uh, 31, which is insane. Um, like it's what, what I have you know, been able to see and experience because of uh, what Christ is doing and the, and the way in which the gospel impacts me today um, is different than it impacts me as a young, younger guy, right? And I think for all of us, as we think about our, our testimonies and our stories, we would find that to be true. But what I did find in, in condensing this testimony down is that it allowed me to think through all the different contexts and ways in which I would share my testimony with different audiences. And I would encourage you, if you haven't, to practice this because you may find yourself in a different context or um, in a different time, and it would be really helpful to have that locked and loaded as you uh, invite people into your story. This morning, we are invited back into the story of Paul. Uh, now, now, Paul, to me, um, you know, is, is one of my favorite uh, characters of, of the Bible. Um, as we all know, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. It's not because of that. Um, when I was in college, Paul was the guy. So this is 2009, 2010. Um, we're running around in Bible study, and guys are just firing Paul quotes, right? Just out of gun. And Paul is, is, is um, bold and confident and in your face, uh, Romans 5, I think it is, there's a, a translation of the Bible where Paul says, by no means, and 
when we learned that by no means was, you know, a very strong phrase in that time period. It's close to the cursing in, in uh, some circles. Uh, guys just loved that. They were like, oh, man, it'd be so great if we could just say by no means to each other and, you know, really get in people's faces uh, because that's how we distilled Paul, one of the greatest writers of all time, was down in, by, by into this phrase. Um, and it, it wasn't even that, man. Like, it Uh, If we had just, as a Bible study group, scooted over two more chapters, we'd get to what has become my favorite um, passage of of Paul. You're talking Romans 7, right, where you see this struggle of Paul um, trying to do good, but evil is right there, right? Um, Always struggling with the realities of of his brokenness, and he ends chapter 7 by saying, wretched man that I am. Who would save me from this body of death? And for a younger James, who was, you know, dealing with all the things that I was dealing with, and even for an older James now, that, that phrase, like that Paul, speaks directly to me, and it has, has transformed my life. And even more so, if you continue on into to, to, uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, Paul says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that, Paul, continues to impact my life. So, so me and Paul, you know, as he has impacted me and impacted, you know, many before me and many to come after me, um, I, I just love, love uh, reading anything where it comes uh, with our, our apostle Paul. So, like I said, we're going through a good chunk of uh, Acts this morning. Uh, we're we're going to talk uh, talk through Acts 21 all the way to the 26. And I, I promise you, I'm not going to stand here and read that to you. As I uh, studied and, and prepped for this morning, you know, as you read these chapters, like it, it kind of sets up like a play, um, kind of sets up like a, a really cool story that if you just kind of close your eyes and listen to it, and I would encourage you to do this, if you close your eyes and listen to it, you can, you can see all the moving parts and the motions and the the crowds, and you can really feel um, the moment that they're in. I think Luke does a really, really great job of uh, articulating and describing the scene that we find Paul in. Another thing uh, Luke does really well is he parallels Paul's journey to Jerusalem with that of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. If you go back and read um, Luke right around when Jesus is captured and taken, and he's before all of these groups of people, and, and they're going through these mock trials before they crucify him. Almost beat for beat, it's, it's the same thing that you see in Paul. And stuff like that, when you see those lines in the, when I see those lines in the Bible, I just, you know, I just get all, all fired up and jazzed up. Um, just to kind of draw your attention to some of those things, both Jesus and Paul were ready to die for the mission to which they have been called uh, at the time that they had captured. When you read both of these accounts, you see that Jesus and Paul were both before the Sahedrin, which consisted of high priests, elders, and religious people. One, one, I mean, down to the intentionality of saying, like, Jesus was slapped by somebody before the Sanhedrin. Paul was slapped before the, uh, before, uh, the Sanhedrin. Like, like, Luke, again, is, is really drawing our attention to both of these stories. Jesus and Paul were both before a governor. Jesus was before Pilate, you know, and then Paul was before Felix and then Festus. Um, They both appeared before Herod. Jesus was before Antipas. Um, Paul was before Agrippa. Uh, both, Both were interceding and seeking the forgiveness for the people who are actively trying to destroy them. Amidst all of the things that Jesus had went through, specifically in this point of his life, and then likewise, Paul, and we'll see this here, both of them, you know, didn't have their mind on the, the crowds in a way of looking, to, looking for judgment or, or condemnation, uh, but they were seeking, to, seeking forgiveness for these people. Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then Jesus dies for the people that crucified him. Paul, um, in his testimony, he, he says that I, I, I came, Jesus sent me so that all may turn from darkness to light to receive forgiveness. And I wish before God that all who listen might become as I, I am, like 
There, there's a drawing in, not a pushing away to the crowds. And, and both of these men leave victorious over death. Jesus in his resurrection that we celebrate every day, and Paul in his release, right, that, that uh, allows him to go on and continue the work that he's been called, now, called to. Now, this parallel provides support that support. There, there's a passage in where Jesus comes to Paul after he's been taken and he's sitting in prison in the middle of his story, and he encourages him and says, have, have courage, right? Just as you have preached to me in Jerusalem, you're going to do that in Rome, right? And I really think that uh, these parallels are intentional to show that when Jesus shows up, Jesus isn't just showing up as someone who's afar off, who's never gone through what Paul has gone through, or never experienced what Paul has experienced, but someone who is intimately aware of the struggles of being beaten and mocked and lied on and all these things. Like, Paul, like Jesus can enter in um, to that. And, and we see time and time again um, examples of Jesus drawing near to people who are afflicted and wounded and persecuted. And he's doing that here for Paul, such to tell them to have courage and to endure. Right? Jesus draws near to us not because he's far off, but because he's near and he knows and he's aware of what we've gone through, what we're going through, what we will go through. And he tells us the same thing, to have courage, right, and to endure. So all that sets up, like I said, these chapters that we're going to read. Now, um, again, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a model student in, uh, in high school. Um, I'll take us all the way back there. We had... Um, in lit class, we had to read, you know, long books, Hamlet, Macbeth, everything like that. Um, and instead of reading, we would use a site called Sparknotes. Um, I don't know if Sparknotes is still a thing. I don't know if I'm the only one that struggled in lit class. Um, so this morning, I'm going to give you the Sparknotes version of uh, chapters 21 through 25, setting up this play, okay? So after uh, chapter 20, right, Paul has left the elders, and him and his companions are sailing towards Jerusalem. It makes them stops in Tyre. They uh, stop in Ptolemaeus and Caesarea. Um, Caesarea was their intended destination, right? So they're, they're sailing around, and when they stopped in Tyre, right, there were disciples who told uh, Paul, hey, man, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to die in Jerusalem. Paul said, I still have to go to Jerusalem, right? Uh, when they stopped in Caesarea, there was a prophet that prophesied, uh, Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, they're going to bound you uh, and take you away in chains. And again, the people said, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul says, I have to go to Jerusalem, right? Uh, what's really interesting in here is that uh, the, the people, as they were talking to Paul, it wasn't from a position of like, um, anxious worry, fear. Right? Uh, Luke draws our attention that they were moved by the Holy Spirit to say these things to Paul. Right? So, again, there are these opportunities for Paul to run away, as we have seen prophets do. Uh, you think about Jonah, who was called to go to Nineveh, and then he runs away. Um, you've got other people who ignored the voices of uh, Jesus. But Paul, through, the, um, through the, the calls of his friends, continues to remain steadfast in the mission. Of, of what he's been called to. Okay. So now Paul arrives in Jerusalem ready to die for the name of Jesus. This is right in uh, the latter half of chapter 21. Um, and when he gets there, the elders tell him, hey, th this is the reason why the Jews don't like you. They're saying that, you know, you're against the culture. You're trying to tear all these things down. What you should do is go purify yourself. Take some men with you. Go purify yourself and show that it's not a, a culture thing. That, that you're against. Paul, you know, was a Jewish, uh, Paul was a Jew. Um, he grew up in the strictest sect of the, the Pharisees. Like, it, it's, that's not the issue, right? Um, and we'll learn what, what their main issue with him was, uh, but they encouraged him to go to the temple, right? So as he's in the temple, uh, riot breaks out. Um, somebody says, hey, this is the guy that's causing all of these issues. We need to get him and uh, kill him. So a crowd gathers around Paul, and they begin to beat him to death which is insane. Um, as they're beating him, the Roman commanders see a big kerfuffle, and they run down, and they pull everybody apart, and they say, what is going on here? Um, so Paul 
uh, they take Paul away um, uh, from this crowd. And as Paul is being taken away, having just been saved from you know, literally dying uh, from this crowd, he says, hey, I have something to say. So they stand him on some steps and he turns around. And what Paul does in this moment is not condemn these people, but in chapter 22, Paul, you know, uh, retells his testimony. Um, and he shares uh, his testimony with some additional details that we don't see in uh, Acts 9, when we first hear about uh, Paul's um, uh, turn to Jesus. So if, if you're following along in the Bibles, if you pop over to Acts 22, this page 990, um, I want to read this uh, chapter or verse 10. Let's start at verse 10. Paul says, I said, what should I do, Lord? The Lord tell, oh, let me back up. Hold on, let me back up. I'm going to start in verse 9, verse 6. We'll start in verse 6. Paul says, As I was traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one I was, that was speaking to me. I said, What should I do, Lord? The Lord told me, get up and go to Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. He talks about how he was uh, made blind, and he had to go to Ananias. This is the Ananias brother who um, healed him, who gave, who allowed, prayed for him, and he regained his sight. Before this, um, as Paul was talking uh, about his testimony, he was talking in Aramaic, and the crowd was quiet because they sensed that he was one of them. He talks about how, hey, man, I was born, um, you know, in, in this culture. Like, this is my family. This is my heritage. Like, I am one of you. This is what Jesus did for me. And then he communicated, this is, um, this is where I was. Like, I was there when they stoned Stephen. I approved of his stoning. I, I was holding people's coats, you know. I was getting ready to go to Damascus to imprison more people, brothers and sisters of the way. I persecuted them. I killed. I threw people in prison. Like, Paul is going through all of this before this crowd, and they're like, yep, 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 we hear you. Like, that, that sounds about right. Okay. And it wasn't until he said that... Um, in, in his uh, uh, conversation with the Lord down in verse 21, uh, this is Jesus talking, talking to Paul. Jesus says, uh, Jesus said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And right after that, Luke says that they listened uh, to him up to this point, and then they started screaming and gnashing and again trying to kill Paul. To see here, like, just, just like the elders had told Paul, like, the issue isn't so much uh, his attack on their culture, their, their, their rights, or, you know, what they believe um, uh, by way of the law. Like, this is an issue with them, their Jesus, also coming to the Gentiles and seeking to make them one people, right? And it was for this that they had... A crazy issue, and as I as I was reading through this, it just you know, it it just messed me up. That that here we are. Here's a guy who has killed and who has imprisoned and who has persecuted. Um, and it was saved by Jesus, saved by Jesus, right? Miraculously and radically is transformed by Jesus, um, and he's telling this testimony, and we should be celebrating. But as he encourages. As he encourages the ministry, that same transformative power being spread uh, to people who are not of their same kind, we got to kill him. Mess me up. Okay, I got to keep going. I'm not, I'm not going to tell I got to keep going. Um, so there, there's this riot. The, the commanders, uh, they take Paul away, and they're going to interrogate him further because they're like, well, obviously you're lying because everybody's all riled up. Paul... Um, uh, reveals that he's a Roman citizen. Uh, that provides some protection for Paul. So the commanders, they send him before the Sanhedrin. Uh, he's standing before the high priest, Ananias. This is the bad Ananias. Uh, and again, this is our parallel to Jesus, right? As Jesus was before the Sanhedrin. 
Um, after this mock interview interrogation, uh, Paul lands in jail, and this is where Jesus shows up and says, have courage, you have testified about me before the, uh, in Jerusalem, you shall go uh, to Rome. And again, Paul's like, cool, got it, check. Um, this is where things get kind of crazy. So as all of this is happening, off to the side, uh, 40 men uh, uh, decide, hey, we need to kill Paul. So we're going we're gonna to bound ourselves to a curse to not eat or drink until Paul is dead, which is insane. Um, I love eating and drinking. Um, I would never give that up to try to kill somebody because killing people is kind of hard. So what they say is we are going to, um, we're going to tell the high priest to, bring, to have them bring Paul down uh, to interrogate him further. But on the way when he comes, then uh, we're going to ambush him and then we're going to kill him and then we're going to go party, right? Um, so uh, Paul's nephew who's here, uh, Paul's nephew hears this and he runs to Paul and is like, hey, they're going to kill you. So then Paul says, go tell the commander. And then the commander's like, they're going to kill him? So then, they're like, they're going to kill him. So, um, as to not have somebody die, a Roman citizen die on this commander's watch, they say, hey, we got to send Paul away. We're going to send Paul away. Uh, so they write, this is where we, get, where we get introduced to Felix, where they uh, send uh, Paul to Felix, who's the governor, um, by way of protection. Um, uh, so the plot at this point is thick, is... Um, uh, foiled, and again, these guys aren't eating or drinking anything, which, again, probably really, really sucks. Uh, so, uh, Paul goes before Felix, the governor. Again, this is just like Jesus before Pilate. Um, and in this, Paul, again, tells them, this is what I have said about this ministry when I was in Jerusalem. I wasn't stirring anything up. I was purifying myself in the temple according to the customs of my people. Um, and then they're bringing arguments against uh, Paul, and there's this fighting. Um, so Felix doesn't rule on Paul's case. He kind of puts him in holding um, for what we would learn to be two years. He holds him for two years. Okay? Um, during this time that Paul is with Felix or around Felix, Felix goes to Paul, and he says, tell me about Christ Jesus, which is great, right? Like, if you have spent any time evangelizing, um, uh, and you're like, man, I want to share my testimony. Having people walk up to you and say, hey, tell me about Jesus, that's pretty cool, right? It's pretty easy. Um, so we learn that Paul, um, Paul shares uh, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, he talks about faith in Jesus, um, and then he talks about judgment that Jesus brings. And at that judgment part, Felix gets freaked out, and he's like, nope, don't like this. So then he just keeps Paul in prison for, again, what we will learn to be two years. Okay. So we're getting there. We're in uh, chapter 25. We're, we're getting there. So um, as Paul is in prison, Felix transitions out. We get Festus. So Festus comes in. Um, and now it's been two years. So again, 40 people haven't eaten or drinking for two years. Um, so Festus comes and he calls for the, uh, uh, calls for, uh, the Jewish people to come down present their case uh, to Festus about Paul uh, because he's sitting in prison. And everybody's like, why is this man in prison? They come down, false accusations, uh, the whole bit. Um, another, another group plots to say, hey, send Paul to Jerusalem so we might kill him. Um, and Festus is, uh, uh, Festus is you know, um, uh, okay with this plan. He doesn't outright say, yep, that's what we're going to do. Um, essentially what Festus says is, hey, we will, do you want to go to Jerusalem to present your case there? And Paul says, no, I want to talk to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, you can appeal to Caesar. So Paul says, uh, I want to appeal to Caesar. And Festus says, well, since you, that's what you want, that's where you will go. Okay. So then this is where Caesar, uh, King Agrippa, this King Herod, uh, comes in. And Festus is like, there's this case with this guy named Paul. I don't know what to do. Will you hear it? King Agrippa is like, yep, let's do it. Okay. So there you go. That's chapters 21 through 25. We can all go take that test. So um, when, when we get to the point about uh, King Agrippa and, and Paul, um, this is the, the last act, right? So this is where we would anticipate, you know, Paul is going to meet his end. All right. This is, this is the end of the road. In the same way that, that Jesus stood before Herod uh, Antipas, Paul is standing before Herod Agrippa, 
full confidence of what they have been called to do. It sets the final scene for us in Acts 26. Um, before we jump into that, I want to talk about a couple of uh, these, these themes that we're seeing both in the, those uh, chapters that we've just read or, or summarized and the ones that come. So one of the themes that you're going you're gonna to continue to see with Paul is this uh, uh, listening and responding to Jesus right? Listening and responding to Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, our call is to be obedient to the call to which we have been called, right? Which is to say, just like Ananias, the good one, not the bad one, just like Ananias, when he, he hears that he needs to go pray for Paul, um, his response isn't to run away. When Paul hears that uh, in, in many afflictions uh, he's going to, to have to endure for Christ, he doesn't run away. Right? There is a, a general theme of, of the disciples, of, of folks in Acts, um, listening and responding uh, to Jesus. We see that Paul was used as an instrument to bring light, uh, the light of Christ to Jews. Um, and if you were with Paul before he was transformed, it'd be impossible to see that this is what he was ultimately going to be used for. And, I, and the encouragement here is that we can't write people off. We can't write ourselves off. Um, we can't say that, uh, you know, who we are today is who we will forever be in the way in which we are today. Right? Christ is continuing to work in you. Christ is continuing to work in the people around you. And we may not see that. We may never see that. But that doesn't mean that it's not happening. We learn that uh, there was this pursuit of Paul by Jesus, like as, as Paul who saw uh, was persecuting, persecuting the church, there were still these pulls towards, um, towards Jesus, um, but Paul was being resistant, right? So if you just intercept Paul on this road before Damascus, and you say, well, that's the end for this guy, he's irredeemable, you miss all the things that Christ is doing under the surface. So for us, our, our encouragement is to listen and respond to the call of Jesus, to listen and respond to the call of Jesus for us Christians today, right? It's not something that's uh, salvific, right? We have been saved, um, but it could be a call to sanctification, right? A call to repentance, a call to evangelism. Whatever that thing is, listen and respond to it as we, as we see others. Pray that they are listening and responding to the call of Jesus. We can't force a change of heart in anybody, but we can pray for it. We can speak about it, and we can live that change around people in our own lives. And to that end, the second theme you see here is that we can't force change in people. There's no amount of persuasive language um, that's, do, that's going to do the internal work that the Holy Spirit needs to do in people, right? Paul stood before uh, crowds and professed Jesus. People walked with Jesus. People saw Jesus. Um, and the, the change that, that we would think being that close to Jesus would produce isn't something that can be forced, right? Um, it's our job as, as faithful disciples to walk in the light of Christ, whether that's easy, whether that's difficult, to walk in that light and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that the Holy Spirit's doing. Our teaching, our instruction has to reflect this reality. It doesn't mean that we don't speak with conviction, right? It means that we're not trying to get in and force people or coerce people into obedience to Jesus. Our conviction must be rooted in the transforming power of Christ, which can take time. It can take time, right? And we need to allow for that time for our brothers, our sisters, our community, and ourselves. Last thing we see is that uh, in sharing the testimony of, of uh, the transformative power of Christ, we need to share that authentically and regularly. Our testimony of the transforma transformative power of Christ authentically declares the saving power of God to the, to the world. Paul, um, as you read these testimonies, he doesn't explain away who he was before Christ or what he did. Right? He, you see, he's not enslaved. Uh, to his past, to his history, but he sees it as an important reminder of what God can do in someone as lost, in, as lost as he was, right? If we just 
clean up that story of, of who we were and what we did, then someone, before they make that turn to Christ, in thinking about all the things that they're doing or they have done, it's hard to get to that point of, oh, well, Christ can save even me, right? Doesn't mean that Christ can't do it, but it's, it's hard to get to. And we miss that opportunity to invite people into the, the nitty-gritty uh, areas of our lives. And again, part of that, and, and um, I know I'm this way, part of that is, hey, man, we're still dealing with the reality that we were that person right? That I was this kind of person walking in darkness, away from Christ. I didn't love people well. I didn't care about people well. So there's this uh, uh, internal struggle of, man, I don't want people to know that about me, right? I was, I was an elder at church. I was a deacon at a church. I'm married. I'm a kid. I'm a father. People, you know, whatever that thing is. And the reality is, is that, like, not being a slave to that, not being uh, ashamed of that, but being aware of and being more aware of what Christ has done in you um, is, is so important and so helpful for folks around you. There's also a situational uh, awareness to our testimonies, right? Again, as you see, Paul's testimony kind of ebbs and flows, uh, same foundation, but ebbs and flows to his listeners. Our testimonies ebb and flow to our listeners, right? It's not that we're being duplicitous in what we say, but in what we say, what we focus on, um, what we share, those are things that we discern by the moment that we're in. So again, I would encourage you to, to think about that, to, to not forget your history before coming to Christ or even after coming to Christ. Um, we have to be reminded often that we were sinners that Christ died for every day. Christ died for us even today. Um, and we also have to be reminded that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. First John uh, chapter 1, John writes that uh, if we claim that we have no sin, right, then there's no truth in us. But like, Christ is, is able and, and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confess. Confess openly. Confess often. And be reminded that that's the power. That's the gift that we have today. It's not because we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Okay. So... Um, Let's talk about chapter 26. Okay. So this is Paul before Agrippa. And I'm going to read chapter uh, 26, starting in verse 1 for us. Uh, because, again, like I said, this is all, all really, really good. So on page 993, uh, uh, Luke writes, Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate. That is, before you, King Agrippa, I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all of the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen, listen to me patiently. All of the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time. They are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial because of the hope and what God promised to our ancestors, the promise our 12 tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I'm being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many saints in prison since I received authority of that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. So again, he's, he's recalling all the ways in which he grew up in this culture, all the things that he did in, in uh, the, the name of protecting uh, this Jesus. Paul continues, I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests, um, King Agrippa, while I was on the road at, at noonday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
it is hard for you to kick against the goads. I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see in me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When we look at that purpose statement that Paul has, it's to be appointed as a servant and a witness of what he has seen in Jesus. Paul was called to evangelize about Jesus. We see this in his travels, his writing, his everything. Uh, Jesus told him he was going to be rescued from the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul says in, in chapter 20 that the Holy Spirit warns him that chains and affliction are awaiting him in every town he visits. He knows that whether it is uh, from the Jews or the Gentiles, nothing is going to be easy, yet he is confident that he is going to be rescued. But even with that knowledge, he still has to endure that affliction. Paul, Paul knows that his purpose, whether with ease or with difficulty, is to shine the light of Christ. Uh, if you read in um, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul begins to list some of those sufferings that he has to endure for, for the name of Jesus. Uh, lashes and beatings, stonings, he was shipwrecked. Uh, he's dangers from, from rivers and robbers and Jews and Gentiles. And even though he endured all of that, God rescued him from all of them. We also see that his purpose is to open the eyes of Jews and Gentiles so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Um, and, and Paul's testimonies, in each iteration of the testimony, he mentions that a light from heaven surrounded him and blinded him. And uh, one of, you know, the, the earliest things I learned about the Bible is that if you see something repeated, it's, it's not, you know, uh, it's not unintentional, right? There's a reason why there's a repetition focused on this light um, that surrounds him, and it's cutting through the darkness of, of Paul's own soul that he was trapped in which was causing him to persecute Jesus and consistently kick against the goads, which uh, was a common phrase uh, in that time, which essentially um, it's like a, you think of a farmer and an animal who's pulling, uh, pulling a plow. Um, as they prod that animal forward, that if the animal is kicking against that, kicking against that prodding, because they say it's kicking against the goads, right? So as uh, Jesus prodding Paul along, he's kicking back, and in that kicking, he's actually doing more harm to himself, right? I see here in this cause that Paul was unable to manufacture the light of Christ in himself. Like, that was something that had to come from Jesus. And this is true for the Jews and Gentiles that Paul was sent to, right? We see Paul mention in, in Ephesians 5 that uh, they, the Ephesians were, were in darkness and the light of the Lord had to come for them. And he encourages them to live as children of the light. Walking in the light echoes what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, what we pray for, that we are the light of the world. The other thing we see in his um, testimony is to offer forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. And it's in this point that, um, again, same way back in uh, chapter 22, I got all riled up. I got all riled up about this point because here he is uh, being sent to people looking to destroy him and kill him. And um, he's offering forgiveness and then also a share, a part of the body of Christ um, among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. What Christ comes to do for us in, uh, individually is not to stay with us individually. He's inviting us into a new body, to be a part of a new body. Um, and we, should, we shouldn't fight against that, right? The call isn't to fight against that. The, fight, the call is to embrace that. So through this, Paul preaches to Agrippa and to everyone in the room. And, and essentially what he's saying that um, what the, the issue is from the Jews, what they have found offense, offensive, uh, is that Jews and Gentiles should repent and turn to God and do the works worthy of repentance. And then secondly, that the Messiah must suffer, and then um, he would rise from the dead. 
right? This is why he's on trial. This is what the issue is. Um, and he's breaking all this down for King Agrippa. If we jump down to verse 24, and as we, come to, as we start to wrap this up here, uh, Paul says, or uh, Luke writes, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, you are out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking the words of truth and good judgment, for the king knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him. For I'm convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa says to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. Now, there's a debate whether King Agrippa said, um, are you going to persuade me so easily that 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 was said in jest, or if that was sarcastic anger, um, or if he was on the fence of being persuaded. Um, My my two cents is that this is an example of somebody who, again, is sitting with the invitation of Christ right before them, right? And you just see how difficult it is um, for, you know, for testimony, um, for, for, you know, the, saying all the right things, following the right scripts, uh, to be the thing that wins people to Christ. But I think that this is here for a reason. Just like all of the other moments around Paul's testimony are there for a reason. And what Paul had locked and loaded was that I wish before God, whether easily, like he had this thing locked and loaded. And I thought that was such a cool response uh, to someone who's like, eh. And he's like, this is, this is why I'm here, right? I'm not going to drag you into Jesus. I'm not going to force you into Jesus. But this is what I want for you. This is the invitation to you. Um, and this boldness, uh, this, this confidence is what I would pray we would have right? This steadiness is what I would pray we would have. That as we encounter situations of people who are questioning Jesus, who want to draw near to Jesus, that we don't take the opportunity to force them to the altar, that we don't take the opportunity to rub their nose in the Bible, but we invite them, right? And we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that the Holy Spirit can and will do in the lives of people. And we know this isn't the end of Paul, um, not to spoil the end, but Paul essentially gets released and he goes on and continues his travels. Um, but what we see here as we continue to read everything that Paul wrote are the influences of these moments. You read Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, you know, all the things that Paul is talking about um, in those letters like have roots back to these moments. Um, to that end, I would encourage you, right, sometime this week, if you have a Bible app, start at uh, Acts 21 and let it ride to Acts 26. Um, it's, it's really, really good. I, w- I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to reflect on your story, reflect on your personal story and how Jesus has been calling you to light, not, not just pre-conversion, but post-conversion. Again, to, to not be ashamed of who you were and who you've been but to be aware of that and be more aware of what Christ has done in you and through you in showing his light to the world. To that end, I would encourage you to be the light that Christ has called you to be. Right now, whatever context that you find yourself. Now, I, I, I get it, right? Like, um, we kind of step back in this cultural moment. It's, it's really tempting. It's really tempting. Uh, to fall into an extreme of, of one side or another side or a third side or however many sides, it's really easy to do that. And it's really easy to, to co-opt these moments um, and say, hey, I'm, I'm pushing for the gospel of Christ here. But really, if we dug down deep enough, we would see, no, man, like there's something personal here that we're just trying to push from our own platforms or, or theology. Um, a couple of years ago, when we were... Um, faced with the, the, uh, the, the riots, uh, when we were dealing with racial reconciliation, um, uh, when we were just all of the things that, you know, has happened over the last five years, uh, we would stand and we would pray. And it's, it's very hard and really tempting to use those moments 
to push forward my own agenda or to say, hey, I think this is the way that we all should live and forget about the calls and the convictions of, of Jesus Christ. So um, I just want you to know that I get that, right? And I understand that as we have been called to shine the light of Christ, like that comes at a cost, right? Um, but to not ignore that cost. And yeah, it, it's hard to have conversations with family. It's hard to have conversations with our friends. And it's hard to have conversations with ourselves. But I would again encourage and point you to that the light of Christ uh, is there for you, right? Like Christ isn't looking at you to condemn you. As you wrestle with um, your doubts, your fears, your what ifs, your hey, it's not like I thought it would be, Christ is there for you. So I would uh, encourage you to be the light of Christ. And if you can't be the light of Christ, I would encourage you to desire to be the light of Christ, to talk with trusted friends about what it looks like um, to walk out the tenets of Jesus. The last thing is this, to, to not be discouraged when you see the hearts of people not turn uh, to Christ. King Agrippa didn't proclaim Christ after hearing Paul's testimony. The Jews still tried to kill Paul um, and, and pursued him. Felix had him in prison for two years, right? Like, um, don't be discouraged if people aren't running um, as hard as you are. Proclaim Christ. Live as Christ lived. Do what Christ did. Trust that God is doing a work in them. Uh, just like Ananias, the good Ananias, not the bad Ananias, the good Ananias. Trust that, that Paul, that, that Jesus is also speaking and the Holy Spirit is doing work for them. Be obedient to the Lord as he as urges those calls. Don't kick against the goats. Don't kick against Christ. Um, invite people into your story, right? And be the light of Christ to them. Let me pray for you guys. God, God, we, we thank you, Lord. I... I I'm aware that it is not by my hand that any heart is changed. God, it's not by my hand that any ears are opened or, or, or any eyes are made um, to see, Lord. It is by your power and your spirit. So, Lord, I entrust these people to you. I entrust myself to you again on this day, Lord, um, that you love us, you care for us, you are here for us, and you have a plan and purpose for each of us. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.